Hello, and welcome to Previously Learned Podcast with myself, James Shaw. On this episode, I had the absolute honour of having a chat with one of the UK industry's most respected and influential people, Austin Darbo. Austin has worked at BBC One Extra, Apple, Spotify, where he launched the Who We Be playlist, and now Executive Vice President at Atlantic Records UK. I can't thank Austin enough for coming on, especially given his recent schedule. As always, I hope you enjoy. Please remember to like, subscribe, review, and if you do like it, please recommend it to one person. And if you don't like it, please let me know. And on that note, let's go. So Austin, welcome to Proofs You Learn Podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, I should say, I know you've got a manner schedule. I just found out a second ago that you uh, landed this morning from recently getting married. So congratulations on that. How are you feeling? How's married life? Yeah, it's all good, man. It's am- it's amazing. Uh, first of all, yeah, it's been good, it's good speaking to you, James. And um, yeah, man, it's, I'm still on cloud nine. I got married uh, four or five days ago now. Um, and the honeymoon's later on this year. Um, but yeah, man, just landed 6 a.m. this morning. So blurry-eyed, yeah. <laughs> croaky voice. <laughs> <laughs> so you might have to do some, some audio editing to get my voice up to speed. But no, nah, man, it's, it's all good, man. It's a blessing. Good stuff. Well, so congratulations. So again, thank you very much for fitness in. I really appreciate that. Um, so the concept on the podcast is, is um, fairly recently, a couple of years ago, I lost both my parents. And I wanted to pass on life lessons to my kids, my son and my daughter. And from what I know, depending on who you ask, especially my wife, isn't worth knowing. So I want to get the experience from people that have been there, done that, they're experts in their field. And basically, hopefully one day they might listen to the podcast and go from there. So uh, what advice, you know, from growing up, can you remember anything or who's your inspiration as you were growing up as a, as a child? And You know what, I would say uh, my inspiration... Group, it, it kind of it came from lots of different places. Like I was inspired by um like clips from TV shows and sayings that people said in like movies and stuff. And I was inspired by like rap music. I grew up listening to all, all types of music, but mainly kind of rap, rap and MC led music. Um, and then of course in, in the household as well, like my mum, um, you know, passed down many poles of wisdom. Um, so did um my older sisters uh, and my siblings as well. I'm the youngest out of six kids. I'm quite lucky in that um, I've got to sort of look at all the different life stages. There's six of us and there's two years between all of us. So um, that was quite a unique experience growing up in that, in that household Um, and sort of, Sometimes the advice wasn't said directly to me. It was me leaning over the banister and hearing hearing someone else say it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I would just say that like the inspiration that I've that that, that I had growing up as a child, man, it just kind of came from everywhere. Um, in in terms of the advice and stuff. Do you, uh, do you did you always take heed of the advice growing up as well? I mean, I, I know I can look back now and I can see my mum and dad and I can remember them saying stuff, and it's almost like not two fingers to it at the time, but you just kind of think, no, I know best or whatever like that. And they think I'm actually saying that advice to my kids now is it's kind of mad how it kind of repeats itself, you know? Yeah, definitely, man. Me and my friends always, you know, joke about this and we say, listen, all, all the sayings are true. <laughs> like, every single thing that every older person advised us on, it's, it's all come to light. And like you said, history repeats itself. And I think... If, if, if I'm a fan of history. I'm a fan of human behavior. 
And you don't have to zoom out that far to see that humans are very predictable creatures. Um, there's nothing um, that, you know, there's nothing surprising in the way that we behave and the way that life kind of ends up. And mm. yeah, there are some variations to it, you know, as there are with any sort of species, but yeah, ultimately, um, if I think back to like, you know, the sort of the OGs, the older people that uh, gave me advice back in the day, yeah, man, more or less all of it has, has kind of come come true. With that being said, I'm a big believer in um, taking advice, um, but not necessarily taking 100% of every single bit of advice given to you, right? Like I think some of the best bits of, of advice that I've had I've actually taken sort of 50% of it and remixed it with someone else's 50%. And that's given me the right answer to, to sort of a life question or a problem that I've had to deal with. So now I should explain, you are, you're widely regarded as one of the most respected people in the UK music industry. So you've had very senior roles at BBC Radio 1 Extra, Spotify, where it is a, you devised and launched Who We Be playlist, Apple, and now you've got a senior role at Atlantic Records. How do you get into doing what you're doing? Was it was music always part of your life? Was it always part of your plan to get into the music industry? So I always grew up with music being a love of mine, and I always grew up with music in the household. I was like a I was a lover, an avid lover of music. Like that's everything from um, taping uh, songs on the radio on on a cassette tape, and then playing it back and writing down the lyrics, <laughs> spending hours doing that. Um, through to, you know, I didn't really have a huge amount of pocket money when I was younger, but having the little coins that I did have, taking them to HMV and Woolworths and WH Smith and and, and buying uh, CDs and tapes and stuff. So I was always a mad fan of music, but I actually wanted to get into television. That was that was my main thing growing up was how can I, how can I get into television? Um, and while I was uh, sort of trying to get onto my TV journey, and that was by doing things like work experience and just hustling, hanging around TV, television studios, etc., emailing people, uh, making cold phone calls. While that was happening, what I didn't realise was that I was building this informal music career on the side because I had a friend who was a rapper who was a best friend of mine. I went to the same school as him. And by coincidence, I was the only person in my area who had a um, who had a computer in the household, a laptop in the household. This is like the turn of the millennium when not yeah. every household had a computer, yeah. you know, kind of in a standard, especially the area that I grew up in. So... Because I knew how to use email, I knew how to use Microsoft, the sort of Microsoft Office suite, knew how to use the Adobe suite. Um, and compared to everyone else around me, I had like the best telephone voice when picking up the phones of people. <laughs> um, I became someone who like local artists would come to to help make their album covers and help uh, make flyers for their events and uh, help them get bookings at local nightclubs, etc. So um, yeah, while I was doing, while I was really trying to forge away into the television industry, like I said, I was building all this informal experience in the yeah. music industry without actually realizing it. Um, and then one thing led to another, and I basically kind of I fell into music. I, I, I got a job working for the BBC, um, working at Radio Four and Radio Five Live at speech stations. Obviously, that they, they don't they don't play uh, music, um, but I was like, right now I'm in the BBC. Um, I'm going to now see whether it's television or music that, you know, is, is I'm going to be attracted to. 
And yeah, music sort of just came calling and a job came up at One Extra. Um, the job that I was doing at Radio Form Radio 5 Live was what's called media planning. So, um, you know, anyone who uses any BBC service in the UK will know that the BBC doesn't have um, adverts. It doesn't advertise uh, commercial products, but it does advertise its own television and radio shows, you know, uh, uh, on radio and television. So I was the person who programmed all of the um, interstitial adverts for other programs in between Radio 5 Live and Radio 4 programs. Um, so, yeah, I was basically programming uh, trails adverts for, for the BBC. And I was doing that across sort of 24 hours of, of content. And then a job came up at, at Radio 1 Extra and the job, it was a music programmer job. And I was already programming trails, you know, so it was a similar kind of yeah. um, a discipline as programming music. And like I said, I had all of this informal music experience. And yeah, you know, I applied for the job. It, it was a complete blag. I was wholly unqualified. Um, you know, I was up against people that were like industry heavyweights at the time. I was probably the least qualified person. Um, but, you know, the um, the arrogance of youth kind of won, right? You know, I was just like, fuck it. What have I got to, to, to lose? Applied for it. Um, you know, was probably economical with the truth in certain areas, you know, but when I walked in there, um, the Laura Lucans, who, who was my boss at the time, who, who gave me the job, she obviously saw a glint in my eyes. She saw something and, and the rest is history, man. So that's kind of how I got on. And the life lesson um, for, for me on, on that was um, just be fearless, man. Um, the worst someone can say is no. Um, so yeah, man, just never be afraid to um, like stretch yourself. Of course, it needs to be within a, you know, a, the solar system of reality. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, I, I just, that was just one key lesson that I, that I, I, you know, just I felt from from early on, just be super super fearless. That's amazing. I'm like, that's brilliant. I'm like, because that, that's a thing when you are a child. It's a, it's almost a paradox. Is when you're a child, you you are naturally fearless because you've got no experience. But then also you get to that point where you start to worry about rejection or wherever that rejection's coming from, and you you want the approval. So. That's that's awesome to go in and say something like that. That I say, no, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to give it give it a crack. Because some people, even 40s, 50s, 60s, still don't have that confidence to do that, and they've missed out on so much opportunity on 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 the back of that, you know. So yeah, no, absolutely, man. I think a, a common theme um, that that I see amongst successful people is yeah, they're not afraid to put up their hand to ask a question in a, in a room full of silence to say they don't know something, um, you know, sort of bravery and, and inquisitiveness are definitely two things that seem to be very, very common in the successful people that I've met in my career. No, good stuff. So I'm like, with, with that in mind, I mean, like, obviously music is super competitive and especially where you are at the level you're at. Sorry, I think my, uh, my Zoom's going. <laughs> sorry. It's going to stop that. So, I mean, it's obviously a super competitive uh, industry. Uh, what advice would you give to someone trying to break into the industry? I mean, you saying there about being fearless, um, but I'm thinking, you know, it's all various backgrounds on coming into the industry. Some from, like, say, like a lower income background or, you know, how can they break into, like, especially something like the BBC, it's an institution, right? How, how do you get that opportunity to get your foot in the door in the first place? What, what makes you stand out? 
Yeah. So so I think the first thing to say is that the music industry is just like any other um, industry that's perceived glamorous. It's got a massively high rate of failure in terms of people that are trying to get in there. Right. Um, and I like and getting into um, any of these glamorous industries. So let's say sort of Hollywood, the acting industry, the, the music industry, um, sort of uh, the, the, the niche area, you know, the niche areas of science you know, and any area that's super glamorous. Um, it's like being at the Olympics where the difference between, you know, first and last place is like half a second Mm -hmm. and you can train all your life for that moment um, and it's still not be good enough. And that's the harsh reality of trying to get into the the music industry. And I tell any um, young person that I speak to that you have to be comfortable with failure. Before I got a yes from the BBC, I got about 200 no's. I've still got the emails and the the, the letters in my my outbox or my sent items or my my old school hotmail address. To, to prove it um so yeah one thing i would or the first thing i would say is you have to be very very comfortable with hearing the word no you have to be very comfortable with rejection and you have to be very comfortable with um sort of operating in a theater of uncertainty like not not hearing anything you sort of send 10 emails and you might not hear anything back that was actually my experience with um the job that preceded the bbc i applied for a shitload of of, of jobs i didn't hear anything back summer came and went and then in autumn the phone started ringing um so that's the first thing i would say um the second thing i would say is when i was younger when i was sort of 17 18 trying to get into the industry i was applying at all of the big boy organizations i was applying at channel four MTV, BBC, ITV, Channel 5, etc. And of course, I was up against hundreds, if not thousands of other, you know, other people, hundreds, hundreds, if not thousands of other hungry students and or people that were on their first step on their career path trying to um, get the same placement or job that I was as well. So I decided to go a different route. And I was like, okay, well, I know that independent uh, companies make um, television programs for the BBC. So I literally spent an evening watching BBC One, BBC Two, maybe BBC Three, I can't remember, it was that long ago, but just pausing at the end of the credits and um, seeing who was making these TV shows or going on Google and seeing who was making these TV shows. And I came across a company um, called Catalyst Television by by doing that, basically. And Catalyst Television, no one had really heard of at the time. No one has heard of them probably even now still, but... They, at the time, they were, in, they were a little independent production company um, based in Hammersmith, and they did the credits for Match of the Day. When Match of the Day, remember when Match of the Day had that stint on ITV? Yeah. Catalyst Television were the ones that made uh, the, the the opening credits for that. So even though no one's heard of this company, Catalyst, they're actually working for a massive brand on a on a on a massive uh, uh, st- uh, TV station. So, yeah, got in contact. Um, the boss, Tony, um, uh, sort of liked what he, he heard, I suppose, or read, pulled me in, and that started an amazing, I think it was a three-month internship that, that I had with them. Um, so the lesson in that is look left of centre. You know, if everybody's applying to the big boy record labels or the big boy production companies, you know, open up the credits of your favourite album and see what studio it was recorded in, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, look at the person who mixed up, don't look at who produced it, look who mixed and mastered it. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to be, you know, in, in less demand in terms of their time for people that are going to want to try and get internships with them and stuff. So listen, it's not an exact science, but um, that's definitely something that I would say helped me was, was sort of looking left of centre. Um, and then, of course, being prepared, man, the, the sort of the funniest story is um, I was working for a company called Durrance. Now, Durrance uh, was a company that really thrived before the age of uh, Google News and sort of news alerts and stuff where um, they're a media monitoring agency. So, you know, if you're Coca-Cola and you're putting out a new product, you would hire a media monitoring agency to make sure that nothing bad was being said about the product. Celebrities did the same, etc. Anyway, I got a job working for Durrance and it meant that I had to read the news all day, every day for, for our clients. So... Um, yeah, I'm like 19 years old at um, these times. Um, and just by coincidence, I, I come in on, on my first day and I'm given a list of clients and they're like, right, here's your list of clients. Then you sort of go on the computer, you click away on the mouse, it brings up a news article, you it highlights your client's name and then you then have to say whether it's a, a good mention of that brand a sort of a neutral mention or a bad mention. And the very first name on the list of my clients was the BBC. Right. And I thought, as like a naive 19-year-old, oh, that's wicked. Like, I've been given the BBC. Like, they must really trust me with one of their, like, key clients. Of course, what I didn't realise was the BBC was the bogey job because it, it gets mentioned so many times <laughs> in organisations. So I basically spent six months reading the most mind-numbing articles on, <laughs> on the BBC. Um, but what happened was that when a job came up at the BBC uh, for, for, uh, for this media planning role, it was working in their marketing department. They were like, you must have really strong knowledge of the BBC. And of course, by osmosis, I had this intrinsic yeah. knowledge of how the BBC operated <laughs> as a 19-year-old. So that's the first thing in terms of when sort of, you know, luck meets preparation. But the second thing is... I go for the interview and, you know, the interview goes all right, but, you know, it's, it's clear that I probably don't have the experience for the, for the role. Um, and then uh, the guy that was interviewing me just as I was leaving, literally my hand was on the door. Uh, the guy was like, Oh, actually Austin, just come back one sec. It says here that your, uh, you know, your favorite uh, television station and your favorite thing to do in your spare time is like watch and read the news. That can't be true. Can it? You know, most 19 year olds that come in, it's, you know, sort of going out clubbing, partying, etc. And I was like, no, I mean, that is, that is, um, yeah, I mean, I I I listen to Sky News. I, I was sorry, I watch Sky News. I watch BBC News Twenty Four. And then he was okay, cool. So who who won the German election this morning? And I was like Angela Merkel. And he was like, oh, and who did she defeat? And I was like Gerhard Schroeder. And you know, I, I was I, I was watching the news, just getting ready, putting on my uniform, putting on my yeah. suit, and I just I heard the German election results, and it was that that got me the job. He was just like, "Oh shit!" This <laughs> like nineteen year old knows about German politics. Yeah. Of course, I didn't know about German politics, but I was watching the news. I took it in, I retained the information, yeah. and I was able to spit it out just at the right moment. Um, so yeah, man, luck, like luck. Luck, preparation, right place, right time, you know, all, all of these things matter. Um, so, yeah, man, that's a bit of a long-winded answer, James. But, yeah, that's they're basically the, the three key things, I would say. Awesome. Good stuff. So, what, so I mean, like, wait, do you still keep up in German politics now, out of interest? 
You are do a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. I'm a fan of politics. You have to be if you work in music. Oh, yeah, I guess seems especially at the moment as well. <laughs> That's probably a question for another time. So um where you are now as well, so you obviously work with talent. How, how do you identify that talent? What what music's very subjective, right? So uh, how do you know what's talented? When I'm mean, I'm completely late, I can listen to something and think, but you'd be picking up things left, right, and centre, which I'd never even like think about. Where where do you see that talent? Where does it come from? You know what? I think that all I think all humans have an ability to spot talent, and I believe sort of musical talent. I think when we all heard Ed Sheeran for the first time, or George Michael, or Michael Jackson, or Justin Bieber, or Drake, you know, any of the sort of global superstars. I think the first time the public saw and heard them, whether they worked in music or didn't, were like, ah, there's something special about this one. Um, But yeah, having worked in the industry and having dealt with a lot of people that are creatives, I think that there there are some common... Um, denominators and there are some sort of themes that tend to repeat themselves with artists that do tend to be successful sort of at a global scale. Um, The first is a a unique vocal tone uh, when we're talking about obviously singers, rappers, people that use their voices um, as instruments. Like I think if I think, if I think about every artist that I, I believe has got global appeal, that I believe has got mainstream appeal, you can identify their vocals within about half a second. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is, you know, sort of songwriting ability, or if then if they don't write their own songs and they, and they collaborate with songwriters, the ability to funnel the emotion of that song through to the listener, um, you know, that's super important. Um, there's sometimes just an X factor that you can't explain just that energy when someone walks into a room and you're just like, ah, like you've just got it. Even if the music isn't there yet, even if the image isn't quite there yet, you know, they've just got it when they walk into the room. And Ed Sheeran is a really good example of that. Um, I booked, I was the first person globally uh, to playlist uh, Ed Sheeran on radio when I was at one extra and I booked him for his first ever a sort of BBC performance. It was a show at Nottingham Arts Club back in, would have been probably 2010. Jeez. Yeah, probably 2010 these times. Um, and, you know, it, 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 of course, the Ed Sheeran of then wasn't the Ed Sheeran of, of, of now. But when he walked into the room, when he opened his mouth, you were just like, you know what, you, you, know, you don't have a platinum record yet. You don't have any number one singles or, uh, you know, millions of quid in the bank yet, but there's just something about you. Um, so yeah, definitely that X factor. And then all of the basic characteristics that you will see in any industry when it comes to successful people, turning up on time, being polite, not being a Sorry, excuse my language. You know, not being a bad person. There's going to be kids listening to this in the future. So that <laughs> is, 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 not, is not the right way to go. Um, but, but yeah, it's like just those, those common themes, I would say are just as important as, you know, using your talent, right? And it is that age old adage of like, you know, um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't uh, work hard. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say when it comes to um, like music. But yeah, I, I think that like, yeah, there are some technical things that like me and, and I mean, I work with a bunch of super talented A&Rs who are way more, they've got way more sensitive ears than I do. Um, but yeah, there are definitely some technical things that we might talk about 
sort of as a company and as colleagues when listening to music. But generally, I would say anybody who's got a pair of working ears can kind of hear a hit record when they hit when 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 it's put in front of them. So, so I mean, like then on regards to that, if you've got a talented person, how how do you deal with the egos? You know, there's I'm not saying everyone in you know if you're super creative like who's top of their game like musicians you, you know you hear some like stories about some of the divas and stuff like that how, how is that true are they really like that or do, how do you deal with someone like that you know difficult characters i guess you know what i think i i'm quite lucky um and i think we're quite lucky at atlantic records um that um i i would argue that i have not uh, come across or been in a situation where I've had to deal with an ego that is presenting problems um, to the point where it needs to be addressed at like a company le- level. Um, when when creatives come together, there is always a friction. Mm-hmm. Um, and when creatives come across business men and women and people, then there's there's all there's also always a friction and there's there is a constant friction between um kind of the art and and the business. Um, and the two can coexist and have done and you know we've had plenty of success um you know by having those two things coexist. But um yeah ultimately there I, I think that you just try to be human about these things. Like I feel like um just like any relationship um, strong communication, transparent communication, honesty within that communication and being really clear and direct with people can tend to solve sort of 90% of uh, issues before they become issues. And the other 10% you can't ever solve, you know. But no, like I said, I think we've been quite lucky um, that a- anyone who I've met who's who's partnered with Atlantic, man, they've, they, they've all been sweet, man. There's, there's not really been egos like that. I mean, in the past in my career, have I dealt with egos? Yeah, definitely. Um, and the way that you deal with it is you just try to just, you, you try to dampen it down. And sometimes that means um, uh, sort of sometimes that means sort of putting a wet blanket over it. Sometimes it means meeting fire with fire. You know, there there are sort of different techniques that you can use. But yeah, generally, um, I've been quite lucky. Um, And and maybe that's just because of my personality type that I uh, the, the way in which I present myself and the way in which I have presented myself has not allowed somebody who has a huge ego to kind of push that ego towards me maybe yeah. I, I i don't know but yeah I've, I've, I've been quite lucky i feel like no i guess i guess it's like if you can people can deal with bad news it's probably surprises and shocks that people that's when it flares up i guess i'm like being caught unaware i guess but i think someone knows when they're being a bit of an ass as well you know so if you call someone out on it so like, come on you know you're being an ass x y and z reason so it's um i mean like with in terms of say for example you've got a young talent coming through who's all of a sudden had nothing then thrown into the limelight so you've got the pitfalls of say like social media or even like financial rewards that how do, how, how do you manage those, you know, get those, I suppose they are kids in theory, getting into that situation, you know? How, how, do, you, how do you prepare them for, because I guess you're taking, preparing them for life, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's not an easy question to answer, James. I, I feel like uh, the music industry up until very recently, um, you know, sort of didn't have a cradle to the grave service, right? Like I think up until very recently, um, 
the welfare of an artist's journey wasn't always monitored. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in fact, you could argue that in some ways it was neglected at points in terms of the, the industry as a whole and how it looks at the welfare of artists. Uh, I think what what we try to do um, and what I try to do is ensure that from the very moment that we partner with an artist and an artist decides to sort of sign sign with us, um, that we try to make sure that we're uh, giving them the right guidance and we're sort of pointing them in the right direction to get the right advice um, from professionals. You know, ultimately we're not, you know, we're not um, sort of mental health professionals. We're not healthcare professionals. Uh, we're not financial advisors. We're not lawyers. Um, so it's important that um, any advice that we give um, sort of th- doesn't go too far, but we can point people in the right direction to make sure they do get that, that, that the help that they deserve. And we've actually had some really good success stories around that. They're not, they're not uh, sort of public success stories. So they're, they're ones that I can't share, no. but what, but what I would say is that we've we've uh, we started a program um, uh, probably just over a year ago now, where um, we uh, basically started an, an internal program where artists and artist managers can ben- could benefit from um, having healthcare professionals uh, sort of speak to them and deal with them and help them sort of figure out certain things. And um, yeah, man, it's, 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 it's been, it's been quite a success, man. So I think that's one side of things. And then the financial side of things, yeah, it's tough. You know, you've got, you've got people that sometimes are the youngest in their family or have grown up in really impoverished conditions. And all of a sudden they're six and seven figure earners in a very short space of time. They become the breadwinners of their family, the breadwinners of their friendship group, the breadwinners of the whole community that they grew up in. Um, And that's not always easy. Um, And I think that like, I would love us as an industry to get to a place where we find the right way in which we um, sort of distribute um, artist advances you know sometimes it makes complete sense to hand someone over a check for x amount in full sometimes it might make sense for that, for it to be half of that amount other times it might it might make sense for it to be a salary you know so they still get in that amount but it's spread out over the cost of a year and then maybe there's a sliding scale of you know okay as they get older or they sort of prove that they can handle that level of money then that's increased these are all things that you know my, my finance team when they hear this podcast are probably gonna have a heart attack but but like yeah, I definitely think we need to try and find new ways to help artists kind of, you know, deal with their money uh, in, 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 in a better way. By the way, it's worth saying that there are, you know, the vast majority of artists do handle their uh, sort of advance and their money in the right way. But yeah. definitely there's a, there's, a, there's a portion of those that, that need help and support. Where do you see the, the music industry going at the moment? Any, any exciting stuff? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're at a massive, um, we're at a massive um, point of change or potential change um, with AI, right? You know, that's that's going to be the single, the single biggest disruptor in all of our lives. It's going to um, change the way that we do interviews like this. Um, it's going to change the way in which people um, create music. Um, AI already is being used, you know, in some way, shape or form um, by anybody who is making music, you know, people that are sort of using uh, music programming softwares are using algorithms. Um, But yeah, man, that's the thing for me that's exciting. It's scary. 
Um, it's wonderful. It's frightening. It's all of these things at the same time. Um, so yeah, AI man for sure. Um, and then you know, for us and and for me and kind of what I represent, man, we want to just carry on working with the best artists and putting out, um, you know, the best music, man. We had a really good year last year. Um, you know, the continued the sort of dominance of of Ed Sheeran, um, Burner Boy, Tion Wayne, Lizzo, Jack Harlow. Um, Anne-Marie, Joel Corey, Nathan Dorr. Uh, we partnered with KSI and started our journey with him. That's been that's been amazing. Um, so yeah, man, we had like we had an amazing year last year. Koji Radical nominated for a Mercury Award um, and a Brit Award actually just this weekend. Gone. Um, Haley, oh, there's so many to mention. I'm probably forgetting a few, but yeah, man, it's been it's been an amazing kind of uh, year, year and a half, and we want to just continue that on into into summer 2023. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I'd say in terms of kind of what excites me. It must be bloody hard work, right? You must be never at home. It's, do, you, do you find it? Is it <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, I mean, you look young still. How do you look so young? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's AI. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like, um, well, first of all, I got into this industry extremely young, right? I, I was sort of, I got in at, at 19 and actually the I suppose the, the the job that I had at the time was probably someone who was in their mid twenties. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm maybe a couple. I'm may, I sort of managed to sneak in a few years earlier, but but um, yeah, man. I just don't let things stress me, man. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't I don't take things too seriously in terms of um, you know uh, we're not saving lives. Do you know what I mean? We're not doing what sort of NHS workers do and and, and key workers do. Um, you know, what we're doing um, is not that deep. Um, we can impact people's lives in a positive way. And I, and I love doing that. I've, I've, I've done that my whole career. Um, and yeah, man, listen, I, I, I work hard, man. You know, like, sort of married a few days ago, you know, sort of um, flying to America in, in less, less than 24 hours, in about 20 hours, um, and then sort of back in the UK. Um, but no, man, listen, balance is important, man. And I definitely make sure that I, I um, have time for the, for the missus and, and, and the family. Um, and, you know, I've got an amazing team and an amazing support network um, that sort of circle around me and make sure that shit gets done. And I'm the sort of loud mouth that will come on podcast, like listen, talk. Um, but yeah, just know that there's like a whole team uh, sort of behind me and working alongside myself, two co-presidents as well um, in, in sort of delivering, man. So yeah, that and a bit of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to wrap it up with one last question if I can I'm very conscious of uh, like you say you, you only landed a few hours ago um, it's probably a big question but what life lessons has the music industry taught you? Hmm. I would say that it's taught me to never take things personally more time it is always business mm-hmm. Um it's taught me to be comfortable with failure. Um, if you think about putting out a song and that song sort of going to number one, it's not going to stay at number one forever. At some point, something's going to overtake it and beat it. So you never win forever. Yeah. Um, so it's taught me that, that you never win forever. Um, it's taught me to be kind to people. Um, 
I've lost count of the amount of um, people who whose names I've forgotten, whose faces have faded away from my memory that I meet at an event five, 10, 15 years down the line. And they've now got some, you know, big boy job. They've grown up now. They've gone from being a snotty little intern to being sort of, you know, head of a department or head of a company. And they'll be like, often I remember when you took like 10 minutes out of your day to, to meet me for a cup of tea and, and stuff like that. Um, and I'm like, shit, now I need, now I need you. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, I'm luckily that good calm was paying off. So yeah, man, it's, it's taught me to just try, try and be kind to as many people as possible. Don't ever burn a bridge unless you really, really have to. Um, and yeah, I'd say that's, that's probably it. I'm sure there's loads as well, but that's all I can think of. No, that's awesome. That's absolutely brilliant. Listen, I'm very, very conscious of your time. Oh, I think you need to get some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for coming on. Honestly, really, really appreciate it. And again, congratulations. And wish you both all the best. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Previously Learned. Austin had so many life lessons there, namely taking opportunities, being fearless with them, and being comfortable with rejection and failure. Again, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please recommend Previously Learned to one person. Until next time, go well. <laughs>